The theme for the afternoon talk is living with labels. Labels meaning uh, words and names. That which word we use to say what something is. Just like initially just to take a, a general picture of this world which we uh, live in and from the general go to the specific uh, and the particulars. In the many ways, many many ways that you and I might describe life one way is to see the world and our participation in it as living in a material world things and living in a psychological world. These two worlds cannot be absolutely separated from each other. The psychological world, the inner world, which is the world of feelings and thoughts and words and language and experience and memory and states of mind and much more is the means and the primary means to make contact with the material world. So the world of the mind, which includes heart and all of that I just described, makes a contact with the material world out there. And the material world, that which you and I see, hear, smell, taste and touch, the material world, it registers its impression upon us. And therefore we live in a world which is both material and mental. It is both physical and psychological. It is both outer, the material, <coughs> including the body, and inner. And this is what we have to, if we wish, to explore, to address, to look at. In this exploration of the inner world and uh, uh, the outer world, partly, sometimes, from parents, quite often from education, very often from uh, science, from what we have been told, that it's important to achieve success, I touched on this briefly last night, in the material world, which is determined as ownership, money and possessions. It's the, uh, determined of having a so-called successful life. Good husband, good wife, good partner, 2.2 children and 2.2 garages and, wants a, and a good job and nice neighbours and this is called success. 
some of us would regard it as a nightmare, but anyway, some would regard it as success. There. The point is, there can be so much pressure to succeed in this material world. I think one of the Beatles, Dylan, somebody living in the material world, I seem to remember. There can be so much emphasis and uh, on living successfully in the material wo uh, world. It's given such a status that the view can arise if we're not particularly concerned about being successful we are told from those various voices of authority we are not living in the real world whoa oh arrogance oh the conceit that to live in the real world is to live in, a, in the material world there and two and a half thousand uh, uh, years ago and this has been uh, uh, going on from one generation <laughs> to another and it probably includes uh, quite a few of us uh, in the hall here in which sometimes we've looked at that world there or even more intimately looked at our beloved parents or looked at the lives of certain uh, people there and we've said to ourselves in different ways and looked at that so-called successful consumerist materialistic uh, uh, world and I've seen what it's like and, we, and some of us have decided actually I don't want to live like that. I'd rather as a human being take my chances with life, engage in an exploration in which I am respectful to the material world. I'm not reducing it to an illusion. I'm not saying it's false. I'm not denying the material world there but one thing I we am not going to do I am not going to exaggerate its importance that's what I'm not going to do I'm going to find hard as it may be some kind of clarity and understanding and balance about the material world I um, I like to read the, the, the beloved scientists, probably that's why I got white hair. And I read in um, some, one of the analyses that science, scientists have made, still with the big picture here, the general, and it said that in the universe, which is a reasonably big place, that only 4% four, 4% of the universe consists of matter and energy 4% of it and who am I to argue with all the scientific research 
So the thought arose in my mind, being at the Dharmawala, of course, 4%, that's about as much attention it should get. <laughs> if it's 4% of the universe is matter and material, 4% I'm going to give it. It's enough. So in the finding our relationship with the material world, for some, it may express itself in many ways. I think one of the ways is a certain modesty in living. (coughs) A certain contentment with life. A recognition and appreciation of the necessities in the material uh, uh, world and an appreciation when those are available and accessible to us. And the tradition wisely has said to us, there are four primary areas, it's very simple. What human beings need in life, we need clothing, because of the climate, obviously. We need shelter, again, an environmental issue, a place to live, a home, a monastery, a house, a flat, a, uh, a room, hotel, hostel, or whatever. We need, we need uh, uh, shelter. We, we need food, we need clothing, we need shelter, and at times we need medicine. And sometimes to support uh, that with regard to extra it's all in the material world there can be the ascetic appreciations and the creative there and uh, things which we enjoy to see in arts and culture etc music and dance and paintings and poetry and literature and much much uh, uh, more if we get enough sense of perspective on the material world that our thought sees it in the 4% category okay, 5% sees it in that kind of category whoa, it is going to open up the life if we are not obsessing about matter things and money and security whoa, what is our psychology our inner world going to start to reveal to us one of the reasons why it's important the future of this planet depends on this change in the relationship to the material world it's critically important It's critically important because we live in a world of diminishing finite resources. Life on earth is finding it more and more difficult to deal with the unresolved problematic psychology of human beings who are exploiting the capital of the earth which is limited 
because of human desire. Wanting and taking too much from the material world, the more that is taking, it is killing life. We're in a crisis already. We're already in this crisis. It's not just a, a nice, spiritual, kindly philosophy that the world cannot bear the pressure upon it. And as the resources diminish through exaggerated emphasis on the material uh, world, we leave, as we know, less and less for our children, our grandchildren and the future generations. Some shift has to be made off the material world to get it into a pro proper perspective so our heart, our feelings, our concerns, our psychology changes. It's become, a, in a way, a human responsibility. It's a human duty. It's a dharma for humans to really work with each other and with ourselves on this kind of shift. Because the other clearly is not working. The capital of the earth, that means the resources, under the ground, on the ground, in the uh, air, cannot endure human behaviour. And the consequences we see year by year from global warming and those that deny it to the disappearing of resources to our polluted oceans to our polluted uh, air to our destruction of our rainforests and much much more and it's the inner that means our uh, life I'm, I'm, I'm getting to living with labels I haven't quite forgotten the subject don't go away <laughs> That in the exploration there, as touched upon briefly yesterday, sometimes there will be, if making some change, there will be some experiences of insecurity. And it can well be, and I know for some of you, uh, of course, some years now uh, in the hall here, that the future, in all sorts of ways, can carry a certain factor of the unknown about it. And when there is some experiences with the unknown, it has some impact in the feeling life and it generates some insecurity. Uncertainty. How will it work out? What will happen? In these kind of teachings, it can be useful to just to remind ourselves, not in terms of, oh, I must be here and now, this mantra which hopefully one day will exhaust itself. Oh, I must be here and now. Uh, there. Sometimes it can be more effective just to remember, hey, look, I've got this far and I've survived it. I've moved through these days, weeks, months and years and I'm still living and I'm still smiling and I'm still eating and I'm still 
going through the day. Well, the foundation or the, the basis for that, well, if I got this far and, and I'm reasonably okay, then why shouldn't I still be reasonably, reasonably okay when I come to next week or next month or next year? If I can get this far, then why not let it continue? And that sometimes a little reflection on our capacity in the past to move through lots of difficulties can provide a small reminder to us okay, there are some difficulties now okay, there will be some difficulties in the future and with some quiet consistency with some uh, solid Dharma practice I have to say that, I'm a meditation teacher um, with the good support of certain friends so one's own inner work the practices and exploration the connection with others put those three together you and I can move through anything anything they're the three great resources that we have my goodness me and human beings cooperating together working through difficulties together listening to uh, each other exploring a whole variety of uh, uh, practices then we're living in a, a world full of rather minor events alright, the theme with the talk it's a more subtle expression of what was just said during the day any day of our life certain kinds of feelings so important to uh, uh, life can arise I, I sometimes wish that instead of our instead of calling ourselves human beings because the sense of beings is so often forgotten if we were honest sometimes we could call ourselves the sense of human running after human wanting human craving there well sometimes if we want to be a little bit more kind with ourselves we could say oh human feelings we are, we are human feelings to remind us of the great importance of feelings and here's the important thing feelings arise the feelings which arise with us I've got in mind the unpleasant and difficult ones at the moment the feeling which arise don't arise without a word they don't arise without a name without a label and if particular feelings unpleasant now which arise within us keep arising the probability is we'll keep using the same description the same label, the same word to describe the feeling and this construct is a problem so, to take example here a person, she or he, may say, um, What are some of the common ones? 
Oh, I'm so anxious. I'm always anxious. I have a lot of anxiety inside of me. So, there is the feeling, the word is anxious or anxiety. There is the self, which is the I, which arises. And the combination of the feeling, the label and the self meet together and one is fully convinced this is who I am. I am an anxious person or I am a fearful person or I am a worrying person or I am a, a negative person or, or whatever. Or I am putting myself down all those things. And we can't understand why it is that we keep describing a difficult feeling it becomes this is an important bit our world when we keep repeating the same description of the same feeling that becomes our world we start to live in that world and in that world which is small it is contracted it's limited not only do we look at ourselves in a small contracted way but we also tend to look outwardly as well at the rest of the world we're afraid, we're anxious, we're negative, we're worried, we're blaming we're needy, we're whatever so the I, the feeling and the label all go together. Getting to know oneself is to pick up and notice do I have the tendency to use the same word again and again about certain feelings? To really pick up on this. Let's say one is negative. One's very easy in this world to be uh, uh, negative and to ourselves, to others or whatever it might be. The feeling, in this case the negative feeling which emerges uh, with us about being neg negative. Can we experience this feeling or any other and not draw a conclusion about it. Understand? There's a feeling going on. One feels negative. Whatever it might be uh, 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 about. And the word, the label, the name arises because I feel so negative about whatever. Can I experience this, notice it well and clearly, see it coming together and not draw any conclusion? To draw no conclusion about it means it will not be followed up. 
That's what it means, have no conclusion. When we identify very much with the word, with the label, I am negative, etc. You have a difficult conversation with somebody, your lover, your friend, your partner, the person working in an office, the queue at the airport, whatever it, whatever it might be. And there is some agitation inside. The feeling is a feeling really negative because I am not getting my own way, I am not getting uh, uh, what I want. And conclusions are drawn. And out of the conclusion can come a lot of agitation, a lot of pressure. We don't want to deny what the feeling is. See the feet, recognize the feeling, recognize the views with the self, I am negative, and not go any further with it than that. Not taking it anywhere. Being completely clear, really honest, and going no further. It's a practice. If the practice is explored, different words will come out of our mouth. If the practice is explored, a different text message will go out, if you're one of those who likes sending text messages. A different perception will start to emerge. And that difference of perception, because one's not holding it, one is not taking it further, yet still being clear, this is happening, negative feeling, anxious feeling, stressful feeling, um, worried feeling, whatever it might be. It's, it is acknowledged, the word is acknowledged as well that goes with it, there is a quiet resolution there not to take it uh, any further and when it's not taken any further it starts to lose its authority it starts to lose its power and one's heart and mind starts to make a shift from a contracted state to an expansive one if I'm carrying it I'm going to be contracted around it. I'm imprisoned to this unpleasant, unsatisfactory, unhealthy, harmful, potentially, feeling for oneself and other. I'm contracted. Liberation is freedom from contraction. That's what liberation is. And the confirmation in our looking at the world is just to remember, wow, this life is not contracted. Have a look at the stars. Take a walk in the Himalayas. Go out on the plains of India. Open the eyes, open the heart, open the mind. 
this universe, this event which we are engaged in we can say a lot of things about it but it ain't contracted the confirmation is coming to us so to speak inwardly and outwardly in countless ways it's a big event that we are in what the hell are we doing contracting it down to a little world what the hell is going on with us how have we become so foolish so blind so literally small minded and we're small minded because we're contracted around fear contracted around negativity contracted around the the 4% material world and liberation is ending that contraction that's the Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha you want to stay contracted, I don't care but good luck <laughs> and the contractedness is that we know from our experience you and I have felt times in life when we really felt contracted around something an idea, a belief, a feeling, a mood, an agitation we've contracted around another individual or a group or whatever or all the ways that you and I can be contracted and we've found and noticed in ourselves at times that contracted something has shifted something changed and that box that um, cage that we were in something happened, the doors opened and something expanded it's not like you and I experience contraction forever and ever we know there have been situations of some insight and understanding or change of heart where it was contracted wow, I'm not contracted the uncontracted is not unfamiliar happiness is uncontracted love without clinging is uncontracted a sense of inner peace is uncontracted it's not like the uncontracted is alien to us just the Dharma teachings is saying that the uncontracted that's a word that the, the, the Buddha used liberation is the same thing is for the wise it's the norm for the wise it is the everyday event it's not the occasional it's not the once in the blue moon in our relationship to uh, uh, the world in the exploration of a certain uh, expanse and this the use of the, uh, the labels and the working uh, uh, with the labels sometimes, I'll just touch upon um, uh, 
the meditation as an example of what I mean here. In the tradition of meditation and the the exploration uh, of, of it, our intentions and motivations are rather important and have some influence on the event of the meditation. I'll try to explain what I mean here. So, to take some of you um, are familiar with um, the mantra. So the mantra is a label, it's a word, a series of words on Mani Padmi Hung uh, there or as the Dalai Lama was just heard in Budgaya last uh, few days, I remember um, uh, some uh, years ago listening to him he, he was concerned that far too many of the Lamas were far too interested in money uh, and building these rather lavish uh, monasteries, marble floors, and etc. But hardly anybody there doing any practice. Uh, I remember the, the Marxists, bless them, wanted to, in, when they stood for election in Nepal, wanted to convert the monasteries into schools. I tell you, it would have got my vote. Let the children have some opportunity for some authentic learning, not the privilege there. So the, the Dalai Lama didn't comment on that, he's far too diplomatic. But, but I, I am not so, so I can. And he said, the monks, some of the Lamas shouldn't be chanting Om Mani Padmi Hum, they should be chanting Om Mani Mani Hum. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> right, right on. So sometimes, as I say, there is this world going on and there is the mantra primarily as one had you know, spent 10 years in the east and knows the mantra world pretty well that a primary benefit not the only but the primary benefit is it genuinely contributes to relaxation yeah. sometimes of course as we know and sometimes the mantra is sold for a very high price. I forget his name, the guy from Rishikesh. And sometimes the uh, mantra carries with it a devotion. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, as a, a devotional uh, uh, element uh, uh, to it. So the movement of the mantra, as an example, which are words, which are names, which are labels, uh, there can contribute to the heart, which is lovely, contribute in some cases to devotion, and contribute to harmony of body and mind uh, there. All of benefit, and plenty of people will genuinely recognize the benefit she or he, they, we uh, have received from the mantra. But like everything in life, Nothing is quite perfect. 
and one of the limits of the mantra with all the genuinely good benefits for devotion, for calmness, for relaxation and, and so forth is that the word, which is the name, which is the label can get in the way of the direct experience of consciousness with feeling, with thought and with what's going on in the body. The word, the mantra, comes across and it can get in the way. And when the mind gets into a habit, in this case with the mantra world, there, the mind can be repeating the mantra habitually, but one's not in touch with it. The word is repeating itself, but there's not a direct feeling, concentrated, heart connection. The word has become the habit. It's good to be, you know, with all these things, there. Mindful. The use of meditation practices, in, in including here, is not based on the importance of the method and technique. Sometimes you will hear from people like me, I do apologise. It's all about method and technique. It's small change, I promise. It's not about the mantra. It's not about mindfulness of breathing as a technique. It's not about moving the attention through the body. It's not only about having the contact of the feet with the ground, etc., the methods and techniques uh, which we, we use. What it's really about, much more significant, is the capacity to be really conscious as a human being of what is going on. That's what it's about. And it just happens to be that if we are using some method and technique, it's a little bit of support. The method and technique will not liberate you. Not a chance. If, if it did, my God, I would say, wow, just sit here, we do the method and technique morning, noon and night till the holy cows come home, till we get enlightened. There's no evidence. Method and technique ever enlightened anybody. Not a chance. How can a structure liberate one from a structure? It's not about the structure. It's not even about... I'm going to put myself out of a job here. It's not even about sitting, walking, standing and reclining as a form. It happens to be the presentation of life. Being human. This remarkable capacity that we have to be extraordinarily conscious so that we can see what we didn't see before. That's what it's about. It's to know that which we just didn't know before. We'd never seen before, we hadn't realised before, we hadn't understood before, we haven't discovered before.
it hadn't been revealed to us before. That's the interest. The interest is not in preserving the form and the structure. Do you get the difference? A little bit? I know, it's a long day. So, though today, primarily, the interest is with the mindfulness of uh, breathing, it's a suitable object and it's an object which is with us throughout the whole of the life it gives some support to life uh, uh, clearly the relationship to the object matters first how we relate to it and it's the same principle as I mentioned earlier there is the feelings there are in this case the unsatisfactory ones there is the label that goes with it and how we relate to the label my small advice uh, here is if for example to take one of the labels you constantly or regularly use the same label to describe yourself worried, anxious, insecure, fearful or whatever you just notice, gosh, the same word keeps coming up this is my advice drop the word take a very nice Buddhist vow I will never for the rest of my life use this word again to describe myself it could be a liberation in itself if one knows one's just got this habit and it's only habit from memory of keep saying I am and then adding some problematic word to it and you do it regularly let it go we've all heard the word letting go in these environments what could be better than letting go of a label that you keep using about yourself <coughs> not in order to then start a new label <laughs> and then having another label and within a few weeks and months you'll be having to let that one go can one just feel experience no it is difficult yeah. not being too fixed about the word which is used to describe the feeling not being too fixed about a word a regular word being used to describe a feeling particularly with the difficult ones and where at how am I doing for time? that could be worse where the feeling level sometimes it one doesn't feel contracted just doesn't feel it's not that necessarily there's a huge expansive sense sometimes in not feeling contracted 
there's just a quiet sense of the being please be at home with it it doesn't have to have a huge expansive sense but sometimes there is a quiet sense of the being and then that quiet sense of the being there are very few labels and words which are at use very few and in the quiet sense of the being with very few words and labels at work consciousness is receptive to something deeper that which is deeper may, doesn't have to give more sense of expansion it might reveal happiness which is expansive joy, contentment peace of mind a sense of wonder and mystery an expansiveness which reveals something really fresh and new not seen before liberation and expansiveness and waking up is closer than all the labels all of them let's have a quiet minute together shall we